Weird Studies listeners, this is JF, and I hope you're having a happy holiday season despite the persisting ambient oddity of the present historical moment. You'll be glad to know that while we're enjoying this short break from the usual recording schedule, Phil and I are already feeling the itch to get started on what promises to be a stimulating fourth season of the podcast in January. What follows now is a special bonus episode, which we are releasing on this fine winter solstice for your enjoyment and edification. This is a conversation we originally released on October 21st as an extra for our listeners tier patrons on Patreon, that is, patrons who generously give us six or more of their hard-earned dollars every month. In gratitude for their indispensable support, we make them an exclusive extra every other week so that for them, Weird Studies is almost a weekly show. I say almost because the extras tend to be shorter, less formal, and more improvisational than the main show, though this doesn't mean for a minute that they're any less special to us. In fact, some of them rank among our favorite conversations. If you like what you hear today and want to hear more, join our Patreon at the listeners tier and get full access to all of the exclusive material we've released so far. This includes the audio extras and a slew of blog posts and full-on essays expanding on ideas discussed on the show. With that, we wish you some fine holidays and look forward to seeing you again in January. talk about adventure time yes adventure time so did you watch that episode puhoy i did so puhoy is the only episode i've ever watched or there's two episodes part one and part two it's the only thing the only adventure time i've ever seen and it's unfortunate because uh you know the two parts on you available on youtube are two halves of the same episode and there's like about there's about a minute cut out of the middle where yeah, it felt jake, like a jump there it felt like a yeah like a where jake where, where, where jake having thrown his favorite cup out the window once finn is gone he sneaks out and gets his cup back right that's what i i kind of put that together when i saw there's a little there's cup. a little discontinuity <laughs> there but the stuff that's there I, I i wasn't able to buy you a gas subscription to hulu or something so you could actually watch all the episodes legally uh so that was the best i could do but that was your introduction to Adventure Time. I am looking forward to talking about it. Not only about Adventure Time, but also the story. Oh, of course. We went yeah. back and forth about this in Discord because I love that kind of story. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, as a professional film and TV guy, wow. how would you shoot a yeah. version of that story? Because I was going to bed last night, I was having all these ideas like, man, if I was like a you know, director or screenwriter, I could think of all kinds of ways of doing that story. That particular story? Well, not necessarily with the deep pillows and shit, but like the the idea idea of a parallel of like a diachronic jump in in between two lifetimes. So we should probably back up and explain what we're talking about. Yeah. So the story is, so Finn is the main character, right? Yep. Finn the human. Yeah. So Finn the human uh, has a girlfriend. Why don't you tell, you know the context a little better than I do. So tell us a story. So, so Finn and Jake are best friends. Finn is a human. Jake is a dog, but a shape-shifting kind of alien dog. But they both have pure hearts 
uh, and they're heroes and they go on adventures. And something that's cool about Adventure Time generally is that the creative team apparently are all big gamers, like role-playing game yeah. gamers. And there is a very strong influence of RPGs on the style of storytelling in the show. But whatever. Anyway, the um, the point is that the main characters, Finn and Jake, inhabit a kind of fantasy world that's called the Land of Ooh, but it's a fantasy world that is also kind of like a secretly a post-apocalyptic version of our world, which is a really cool aspect of the show that only unfolds gradually and has no effect whatsoever on the particular story of Pohoi, which I will now tell. So at the beginning of it, Jake and Finn are sitting in their treehouse, uh, forced indoors and forced not to go on adventures because there's a sword storm outside. So just like a shower of swords. That seems like the kind of thing you might come up with in an RPG campaign. The heroes yeah. are forced indoors by a storm of swords, like just it reminds me of uh, swords falling it reminds out of the me sky. Of, it reminds me of a scene from one of the Chrétien de Troyes Arthurian legends where this knight, I can't remember which one it is. I think it's the knight and the cart or some One of the... I, I studied them in university all at once in one semester, so I get all the stories mixed up. But this knight is looking to accomplish this quest, and he comes to a bridge, and the bridge is made out of swords. So you can cross it, but you all you get all cut up, which I always thought was this <laughs> really kind of D&D idea, but it's from the Middle Ages. So, Oh, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, anyway, so they're forced indoors, and so they're playing in a uh, pillow fort that they've built. But Finn isn't really feeling it. He's he's feeling despondent because his girlfriend, the Flame Princess, Which, didn't laugh at can I Can I interject there? Flame Please. Princess? I think that that's, uh, well, I don't know. When was Adventure Time made? Uh, it was made for about a decade. And I think the final episode was 2017 or 2018. Right. This was from season five, which I don't know, 2014 or something. Because uh, Flame Princess is, uh, there's a role playing game called Lamentations of the Flame Princess. So when did um, it come out? 2008. So I'm assuming hmm. that it's a that's interesting uh, an intentional nod at that uh, game. Yeah, but go that's on. Kind of, that's kind of interesting. Anyway, so Finn is despondent because he told a joke to Flame Princess and she didn't laugh, and so now he's convinced it's over between them. Finn is a teenage boy, somewhere between 12 and 16, and uh, he's a hero. He's a, he's a bit Siegfried like. He's like a nice version of Siegfried. He's a boy hero who goes on, who's capable of incre incredible feats of strength and daring, but he's also like a dumb little kid. Yeah. Uh, but a nice little kid. Anyway, so he's just feeling sad. And so he crawls into the blanket for it to kind of uh, let his mind uh, faster, as he says. Yeah. And he ends up, and he's like, wow, it's really big in here. And it keeps going and going and going, crawling through the darkness. And he sees a light far off and he starts crawling towards it. And it turns out to be a little portal, like a little hole in the cushions. And he pops out of it and realizes he's in a totally different world made of pillows and blankets and cushions and linens and, and, and things. And then he realizes once he's out in the world that the portal that he just went through has closed up behind him. So now he's stuck there. So he kills a blanket dragon that's terrorizing the inhabitants of this pillow world, is immediately hailed as the best pillow, uh, a hero <laughs> yeah. who is, saves the village. And 
He's a bit despondent because he can't figure out how to get home, but he meets the daughter of the chieftain of the town and they fall in love. And the, much of the story is just like we see episodes from Finn's life as he becomes an, a, a middle-aged man and then an old man as he is married and his children grow from being little kids to being adults with their own kids. He lives a whole life and never stops wondering how to get back. And he gets some information that there's a portal that opens up unpredictably. But he, at a certain point, he decides not to look for it anymore because he realizes that he loves his wife, his pillow wife, and his pillow children. And he's not even sure by this time, you know, he's like, I don't know, 40, 50. He's not even sure that the first 12 or so years of his life even happened. Now it's just a distant dream. And he realizes that this is his world and he stops looking. And then finally, we see him on his deathbed with his family crowded around. And as he begins to die, the portal opens up in front of him. And this wizened, very aged version of Finn goes hurtling through a dark void bounces off the tongue of Gulb, who's this kind of god of chaos, the arch villain, I guess, or arch antagonist of the Adventure Time universe, and finds himself back in the pillow fort. And he pops out of the pillow fort. And in the meantime, only maybe an hour has passed. And uh, Jake and their little electronic friend Bemo have just been playing games. And Jake's like, hey, Finn, are you feeling any better? He's like, yeah, I had this crazy dream. And just as he's about to tell this quote unquote dream, the phone rings and it's Flame Princess. And it turns out she got the joke after all. And when he puts the phone down, Jake's like, okay, tell me about that dream. And Finn can't remember it at all, <laughs> at all. And Jake keeps pushing us like this dream, this, this, this dream you had. And Finn just looks blank and goes, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I love that story. Okay, quite apart from the fact that I love Adventure Time, I love that story. So do I. I love the idea of diachronic time warps or time loops of that sort of like kind of uh, – this is something that Philip K. Dick was kind of obsessed with, right? The idea that you might be living a parallel life in some other universe and not even be aware of it. Um. But also just the tragedy yeah. of all that love and building that family in the pillow world and all that being forgotten, like it was just another yeah. little figment of imaginary, just a dream, really. It's just, yeah. it's it's a beautiful, sad, tragic, what were the three words you were putting out on Discord yesterday? Magic. Uh, magic, madness, and sadness. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, it sums Which it all the up. Which is another Adventure Time character, Magic Man, who I identify with strongly, right. <clears throat> who is insane and an, a complete asshole. Um, so you can see why I identify with him. Um, talks about how the, the three qualities of being a magic user are magic, madness, and sadness. Right. Uh, and I was saying to you in the Discord yesterday, that also is like the signature affect of Adventure Time. Yeah. There's magic, there's madness, I mean, genuine weirdness. The show, not so much in that particular episode, but this show is a show with mad rifts, all kinds of crazy rifts. Right, right. And well, I was... uh, moments of genuine weirdness and also sadness. Most of the long arts of the story are not happy at all. Sorry, you were going to say. I was going to say, it'd be cool if we had the time and energy 
to do a separate little podcast of half-hour episodes, each of which would be devoted to one Adventure Time episode. <laughs> oh, that would be cool. I would dig that. Well, let's see what if we can great fit it idea. into our schedule. It's easy. That could be th- it's like 10 minutes be- of watching a week, and then we have a half-hour episode. <laughs> well, we'll see what the reaction to this is. If people yeah. are like, I fucking hate Adventure Time, then I guess, you know. So if Then it becomes a passion project. So right? like, let's just uh, riff off a little bit of the theme. So there's two things that struck me from this in the story. The first one is the idea that those, those little worlds you build as a kid, those pillow forts, or mm. become sub-worlds. Like in yeah. D&D parlance, they become demi- demi-planes. They're separate from the real world. And when you enter them, you're actually escaping reality in a way and entering this other place with these other laws. Like kids can turn pillows into loaves of bread or swords, yeah. you know, like they yeah. really become these things. So that's the one, one, that's the first theme that struck me that, that I found, I identified with. Cause I remember, remember we were talking in that, when that the episode we did when we were drunk, we were talking about looking into the Christmas tree and seeing yes, that little world exactly. in there. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember we were both so psyched because both of us had had that experience. And yeah. I don't think either of us had ever encountered anybody else who expressed the same thing. Yeah. It was a, it was a wonderful moment. Like, oh my God, I did that too. Yeah. yeah. So you just the look Christmas into the tree Christmas is the perfect tree. example. Yeah. And it, there's a whole little world there that you live in. Which is why it's so important to put some of your Christmas decorations and ornaments inside the tree. Yeah. yeah exactly. So that you have lights in there and you have a, a, Z, a Z axis, right? So right. Um, that was the first. And the other thing, of course, is the whole idea of diachronic time. And I, I wanted to relate an experience I had of precisely what happens in this show. Nice. Um, I think I may have told this before, but I'll t- so I'll tell it very quickly. But there there is a plant, a herb called Salvia divinorum. Uh, or diviner sage, which used to be legal in Canada, but now is uh, illegal. It's uh, regulated under Schedule 4, which means it cannot be manufactured or distributed, but can be possessed, which is just a big tease. Um, so, the, so you could have your little salvia garden or something. Well, you can't manufacture it, so you can't grow it. Oh, okay. You can just have it. <laughs> you can, yeah. You can have a, a plant <laughs> if you find one somewhere. <laughs> um, it doesn't grow wild, though. It's a cultigen. Is that the term? So it's a plant that only exists uh, as a cultivated plant. Uh, there are no known instances of this plant growing in the wild, which is bizarre. Uh, it's a type well, of- Well, surely there must have been at some point. Uh, well, it, it either either there was or it was just the result of, what do you call it? Like selective breeding? Selective breeding, yeah. I understood your hand gestures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> JF is making an obscene gesture right now. So whatever plants do, to, to, you know. Um, <laughs> whatever hand gesture goes with plant sex. <laughs> so... Um, after I heard one of uh, Terence McKenna's very inspiring sermons on Salvia Divinorum, I decided to give it a shot back when it was perfectly legal and um, did a series of uh, ex- such experiments. And in, in, in several of them, I found myself meeting the same aliens. I've told this story, I'm sure. But anyways, these these were like... These aliens, they were like puppeteers of the universe. That's how they presented themselves to me. The ones who were putting on this show that we now, you and me and people listening to this, call reality. So these were the scientists in charge of the whole project. And uh, 
one of the weird things about salvia is that so you, first of all salvia cr- like uh, induces incredibly vivid hallucinations and visions and uh, and theogenic experiences and one yeah. of the most harrowing aspects of the experience is that you often don't remember that you took salvia at all when you're on this you are, have no memory that you've taken a a, a drug so I just pop up in that other place. I have no memory, not only that I took salvia divinorum, that I smoked it, but I have no memory that of who I am or who I was. I'm just a, a ball of blue light. That's how I imagine myself in the other side. The scientists show up, as they always do. There were always three of them, and one was always there, but hiding. That's something I just knew, like you would know something in a dream. And they asked me, how's it going so far down there? And I said, uh, it's going all right, I guess. And then they told me some stuff. And then they said, okay, it's time for you to go back. So um, you've got two options. And they showed me two lives. One was my life in Montreal at the time, complete with my, my girlfriend, Leslie, my, who was my girlfriend at the time. Now she's my wife. Uh, our apartment in Montreal, we were, we were living with my brother and his girlfriend. And my whole life kind of just laid out before me. Like a diorama. Yeah, exactly. Just perfectly, like almost like in a box. They showed it to me in a box. And Mm. then the other life was the life of a factory worker in Victorian England with his family and his life. And that life felt like mine as well. Okay. And it was Mm. fully real. Both of them were equally real uh, and equally tangible to me at the time. So I thought, oh God, I'm living two lives. Uh, Well, I have to pick one. They're like, yeah, you have to pick one. So I picked the Montreal one. And I came out of the Salvia trip. And to this day, I have no idea whether I made the right choice or whether somehow on some other plane, I'm living out the life of a Victorian factory worker. And it's very interesting to ask what would have happened if you had chosen the other life. Well, we wouldn't be doing weird studies. Maybe we'd be having this discussion in some uh, British pub somewhere. That's right. Yeah. And and um and no and maybe a these, few people would be listening but and all this great content would go unrecorded. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a great story. I've taken salvia in fact is the only um psychedelic drug that I've ever taken. I've I've never taken LSD uh or mushrooms or whatever. Um, yeah. But back when salvia was legal in the United States, which is like back in the 90s, I remember getting some and found it extremely difficult to consume, like smoking it is like incredibly harsh. It's like smoking a plastic chair. That's always how I imagine. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Leaves your lungs feeling horrible. Yeah. Um, And I was only, and and because I found it so repellent uh, and unpleasant, just that uh, experience of taking it in, I only ever used it to the extent of getting the full salvia effect once. And I did not have your experience, but I had an experience. Um, But uh, my friend and I were decided we would listen to Bach, English Suites, as I recall. Um, And I had this strange feeling of feeling the music and the entire world as a single fabric that started to unravel in a sandstorm of particles, except that actually makes it sound like a more of a concrete experience than it really was. It was fucking weird. I can tell you that. I don't think it lasted very long, but while it did, it was 
just the strangest, most lunar kind of experience. I guess I didn't love it enough to try to push through the physical discomfort of taking it to do it again. Yeah. But, uh, it's one anyway. of those, it's one of those herbs that, uh, the more you, the deeper you, the more you do it, the more, the deeper you go. My first oh, okay. experience was pretty light and then it got more and more intense. Um, not recommended to anybody now, of course, since it's a crime to consume this particular herb for some reason. Crime of the century. Yeah. It's very, it's a, it's an affront to civilization. That to that's when it exists. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have to say, I heard that it had been, I mean, I lost interest pretty quickly, but then I heard that it had been made illegal. And I'm like, why? Because of all these YouTube videos of kids doing stupid shit on them. It is dangerous because you are so unaware of your surroundings that you could easily get hurt. Oh, um, fucking YouTube yeah. ruins everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I didn't care for it particularly, but I think it's ridiculous to, to make it illegal. Uh, you know, it has no potential whatsoever as a party drug. No. Like it's the most unsocial drug imaginable. It's also not addictive. So I don't see how it could become a medical problem. Um, Bear's mentioning that in Mexico, traditionally, you are not to smoke salvia divinorum. The lady, I can't remember what she's called. I think this is the white lady or the, there's there's an entity that's associated with salvia, feminine divinity. Oh yeah, I've heard that. Um, I did not encounter her. No, I heard Wait a minute. Actually, I kind of did, now that I think of it. It's all coming back. She she doesn't like it when you smoke it. You're supposed to make a cud of leaves, fresh leaves, and chew it. And then you get a more sustained, more prolonged experience that's a little Uh, gentler. Smoking it gives you, it's basically like DMT. It sends you into another freaking universe for about 10 minutes, then you come back. And it's very hard to learn from such experiences, although I, I... don't regret it because it was pretty amazing. Well, you um, learned about the ty- diachronic nature of time. Exactly, that's, which is that's something. not negligible. That's yeah. not nothing. Well, yeah. let's return. Let's return to that. Yes. Question: the, the diachronic thing. So, when I posted this in our Discord yesterday, I was telling you that I heard a story much like this, like the story of Finn in the Pillow World. On Mysterious Universe, which is a pretty good podcast of, it's just a general all-purpose dumping ground of every kind of paranormal story you ever thought to hear. And it was a story, I have no idea where the story comes from. I wish I had taken notes or something so I could find it. But it was somebody who told a story that he was in his house and... I know, he looked in a certain place in his house and somehow reality just started transforming around it. Like somehow he found himself pulled through some kind of portal into another world, sort of like what happens to Finn. And in that world, it was like not outlandishly different from this one. It was still our world. He just was a different person in it. And in this world, he had a different career, different life. He met a woman and married her and he had a family and it was just like that Adventure Time episode. He lived an entire life with a family, with children who were fully grown, who he loved and was proud of and a career he had spent a lifetime building. And then one day he was in his house sort of staring at a lamp and kind of got fixated on it and shit got weird again. And he found himself right back where he had been in terms of subjective time, like maybe 60 years earlier, but in that 
other parallel time from which he had started, no time or hardly any time, maybe a few minutes or an hour had passed. And this guy was writing it. I think it might have just been a Reddit post, some anonymous thing. And of course, that has absolutely no evidentiary value. But what struck me about it was the ex the elegiac, like very sad quality of this. Like that was the main thing, the affect. It really sounded like it had been written by somebody who'd had this experience because he sounded heartbroken. Wow. Like heartsick. Like, because imagine... You live a whole life and everything you love and everything you ever strove for, all of it taken away, boom, just because you realize like, wait a minute, the reality status of all of that is in question. Yeah. Like you could replicate the effect by just having like fucking sufferings of Job, have your family die and, you know, your fucking livestock die and your house burned down and Body like everything taken. disease. Yeah, t everything taken from you. That's what it would be like. And I remember that just captivated my imagination. It was creepy. It was weird and super sad to think about that. And so what I said to you is like the, the, the ending of Puhoy, this episode of Adventure Time, shows Finn just in a blink of an eye forgets everything, a whole lifetime that had happened to him. And I was like, and that's a kindness because to live with the memory of that would kill you. Yeah. You know, blessed amnesia, except it's really sad because, you know, at one point his pillow wife says like, whatever happens, Finn, don't forget us. And of course that's exactly that's the first what thing happens. he does. Yeah. Yeah. It's how sad to, to love you know, so completely and then just forget about it. Although I suppose people who are looking after Alzheimer's patients experience that on the regular. Yeah. Or people who, I mean, we could talk about psychogenic fugues as I'm sure that some people who've experienced, I don't know what the subjective experience of fugues is like, but you could imagine even, you know, just leaving aside for the moment the possibility of a, an actual supernatural ontological uh, event of that sort, thinking of it purely as a subjective experience, you could imagine someone being someone with, I don't, I don't know, dissociated personality disorder or something, multiple personalities feeling that way, uh, that they have this a whole other life that's now gone, uh, even if it's just in their memory that it, you know, or... Or I can actually apply that to aspects of my life and that I feel quite sad about. When you're making a film, for instance, with a small group of people, you become very, very, very close. And once the project's over, at least for me, that whole world disappears. And friendships that felt really uh, solid and, 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 and lasting and, and genuine disappear. Yeah. I move on to something else. And yeah. it's sad. It's not, I don't, it's not, I don't think that I'm like, I lack empathy or I lack, I'm not a good friend. It's just that the, my regular life can't sustain those friendships. They yeah. just don't fit. So they yeah. disappear. And, yeah. um, and I, I th and the way you were describing, you were telling that story, I kept thinking, well, isn't that a little bit what death is going to be like? Because regardless of what happens after death, you and me, as we are now, are going to be dead. <laughs> so the Shit, relationships really? we have now, the relationships we have now will be gone in a way. Uh, perhaps transformed, perhaps still existing in some fashion, but irrevocably changed. Um, yeah, 
And uh, you know the, the part where he um, he dies in the alternate pillow universe, which I think bears mentioning it, that pillow universe is a soft world where everything kind of like he's the hero. He kills the dragon in one with one slash of his sword. He's hailed as the hero. He's, he's actually rather jokes. disappointed at how easy it was. Yeah, he's but like, it's, Whoa, that's it's it. a soft <laughs> pillow world. It's a world yeah. that, that with give for him. It's a world in which he easily comfy. You know, he can just get comfy and, and he fit sinks in. into it. Yeah, he doesn't have to deal with his girlfriend who may not. The flame princess who may not laugh at his jokes. He's like the hero. So you can see that it's a kind of a wish fulfillment. Maybe you could analyze it yeah. that way a little bit. But when he's, when he dies at the end and you see him go through the other, the other world, I was really reminded of um, the Tibetan book of the dead, the way they represented the uh. death experience. First of all, the shapes and the, the kind of portal or gate that he goes through. Mm-hmm. And then that big demon to me, it just felt like one of the angry Buddhas, the vengeful Buddhas or whatever that you encounter in yeah. the Bardo realm. And then, uh, and and again, uh, when you read the Tibetan Book of the Dead, you're supposed to read it to someone for 48 days after their death, right? So oh, that's right. And, because in the 49th day, the soul is no ro- longer around on this plane to hear exactly. anything. And and what you keep, like the text is written, it's addressing the dead, and you keep saying, "Remember, don't forget," because it's so easy in the Bardo to just forget who you are, who you were and what your karma was. You can get lost. And then, so you're constantly having to remind the deceased of who he was or who she was so that they can work off of what's been done, the work that's been done and to get to a better incarnation, right? I just, I, the Tibetan book of the dead is one of the most beautiful texts in the world. Um, I love Mm. the way that it, it it takes something that is so ambiguous and so fraught with mystery and and nonsense and craziness and just deals with it like it's the most concrete real thing. This is where the soul is at this time. This is what's going on. It's just so like practical. It's so self-assured. I love the tone of it. And I love the way it's constantly talking to the dead as though they can hear us and guiding them through the stages of dying and re- and re- and being reborn but at the same time moving you the reader through the process of grieving and letting go of the person it's just a beautiful psychological uh tool i think wow. it's uh, it's like one of the great masterpieces of world literature but I anyways read that's it. i've yeah, never read it yeah my favorite translation is the shogyam uh, trungpa translation i think oh i didn't know he translated that I yeah Chukam Trunko, trunkpa was fucking brilliant yeah he was yeah 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 um you know and talking about the bardos i love that reading and by the way there's a very good chance that those connections between that scene and the tibetan book of the dead are entirely intentional yeah the creators of the show are pretty literate in matters occult and there's hermetic imagery all over the fucking place in this show, mm. like all over the place. So I wouldn't be surprised if they had somewhat intentionally done that. But I'm thinking about the idea of transmigration through the bardos in Mahayana Buddhism and Zen, at any rate, uh, the outpost of Mahayana Buddhism I actually know anything about. Um we talk about the six realms or the, you know, the heaven realm, the realm of fighting spirits, yeah. the, yeah, the animal realm, the hungry ghost realm. Those are places on the one hand, those could be places that the soul goes, but also we have a tendency of thinking about those as archetypes for changing conditions of our lives here and now. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Mm -hmm. You can look at, for example, Donald Trump and be like, well, there is somebody who lives 24-7 in the Asura realm, the realm of warrior spirits, of fighting spirits. Yeah. Um, you can understand people. It's like, oh, that person's a hungry ghost or whatever. Yeah. Um, or they <laughs> have, a sort, of a, you have yeah. a sort of a hungry ghost energy about you. <laughs> um, but if you're thinking in those terms, then that forgetting... Yeah, you know this this story that we're ta telling about somebody living in diachronic time and uh, one whole timeline, a whole life being wiped out. That shit is happening to us constantly. Mm -hmm. And I remember when my kids were small, I used to have a thing. I'm not like this anymore um, because I think I've made more of a peace with this um, impermanence and all that. Um, you know, if you ask, what is Zen practice? What are you practicing exactly? You're practicing it just getting better at dealing with the basic fact of life, which is impermanence. Yeah. Um, and you never get, and you never stop having to deal with that. Freud called it um, transience. I just love that word. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Transience. His yeah. essay, Transience, is very good. It's worth reading. But, you know, I remember when the kids were little, I remember once driving down the River Boulevard that was close to our house. This is when I lived in Minnesota, when my son was about two, two and a half. We were living in Minneapolis. And my son was burbling away happily in the back seat. It was a November day, so it's like early winter in Minnesota. And the leaves are all off the trees. And through the skeletal trees, I can see the lights on the other bank of the river twinkling. And it's a beautiful, clear night. And I'm just so happy. My heart is so full. And it just occurs to me, I'm like, Nicholas is never going to remember this. I'm never going to remember this. All these moments. I mean, and it wasn't like, oh, that was really conspicuous because it was a one time that whole year I was happy. Nothing like that. It was just like an average happy moment. You know what I mean? Just a delightful yeah. moment, uh, but nothing out of the ordinary. And but I, But the thought hit me very strongly, like, just like in the... Book of the Dead saying like, remember this, remember this, because it's so easy yeah. to forget. I became suddenly aware, like, remember this moment, because I suddenly realized if I don't try really hard to remember this, it'll just be gone. And interestingly, years later, my son has an unbelievable memory. I was telling him this story and he was like, but I do remember that. And he was able, he did. He remembered that particular oh my moment. God. Amazingly. But- you know, that doesn't really change the truth that like your life, as you get older, as, as there's more and more life that you've lived and you hit middle age, you're a constantly being reminded of all that you've lost. Things you've said, people were all, always say to me like, oh, remember that time you and I were hanging out? You said this really funny thing. I'm like, nope. I, I never remember the things people tell me that I've said. Yeah. Apparently I say some really fucked up shit, but I don't remember <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, you know, there are photographs I see where suddenly a memory that has been gone, 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 like I have not retrieved it once in 20 years, I'll see a photo and it'll just detonate. I'm like, holy shit, that was me. There are moments when I look at old photos, I'm like, wait, that's clearly me, but I don't remember that situation. Shit like this happens more than anybody really likes to reflect on. Leslie and, has a really interesting way of looking at that. Did you want to finish your point first? Yeah. Well, basically just that, like you don't need to die 
to lose all these realities of your life. That just happens to you. Yeah, exactly. We're little, we're dying every moment, right? In a sense. Right. Um, you know those uh, billboards that I don't know if they still exist. They must still exist somewhere. Uh, with uh, like they're like vertical blinds that switch, yes. and then there's two yeah, yeah. images. Yeah, right. So Leslie once was like, "Wow, we each have an identity that's basically made up of a certain set of memories, a certain set of reflex memories of of." a certain set of memories that we have decided define us. And if we were to tell, like my, my girls are always asking me, tell, tell me a childhood story. And they, like, I've told all the childhood stories I can remember. At this point, I'm like, just ask me questions so I can remember stuff because I've told you yeah. all the ones I remember. And it's not that many. And yet a lot of things happened when I was a child. Like, I'm sure I'd have an endless array of stories to tell if I only I could remember them. So we each have this, it's an, and each of those memories is like a, a particular lat in that set of vertical blinds that makes up the billboard that is our lives. But if only you could, if you could just switch, like turn flip the blinds, them. flip them around, you'd have a different set of memories and you'd be a completely different person. Oh, that's a super interesting idea. You know? I'm, I'm stealing that. Yeah. So That's an amazing idea. Yeah. What if I just, what if I just remembered the, all, the, all the stuff that I forgot and forgot all the stuff I remembered? And I wonder, you know, when they say that when wow. you die, you see your you life flash before your eyes? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And maybe you get total recall for a second and you see what you actually are, what you actually have been. And it's completely yeah. different from what you think you are. Wow. That's what a kind a thought. of a, kind of a crazy thought. Oh, that is. You know, I used to almost be afraid of photographs, which sounds stupid. Not just photographs in general, but just photographs with people I love in them or photographs with me in them. For the longest time, I just tried to stay out of every family photo. It's a kind of a anxiety or fear that should be gotten over because it's a resistance to transience, to impermanence, right. because the photo would remind me of everything I'd lost. Right. You know, the photo captures, it's like um, a photo captures something, but it's like, you know, trying to capture a rainstorm in a teacup. Yeah. You know, you're going to get it's a few just drops that one of rain. memory. Yeah. Yeah. We got yeah. A, just a few drops of rain. And it would make me sad because it would remind me of everything lost to time. And it would make, I don't know, it just fucking yeah. bummed me out. But I guess I'm slowly, slowly, slowly getting used to this idea. Maybe this is why that story, uh, that kind of para, parachronic or you say dichronic. I like parachronic. Right. Maybe it comes down to the same thing. Um, that kind of time, maybe that's why that stuck in my head. Let me tell you, there's a line from, you know, Rutger Hauer's Roy Batty in Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Yeah. The ending, which is for me one of the greatest moments in all film and always chokes me up every time I see it. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. 
like tears in rain. Like tears in rain. And that has always really hit me because that's what it's like. It's just like you think about what a tear is, an expression of strong emotion. Imagine crying in the rain where all that emotion just is immediately submerged absorbed, in, yeah. absorbed in this huge system of, of this process that has next yeah. to nothing to do with you. Yeah. And yet, you know, it was a dark and stormy night. It's just a throwaway line you start a mystery novel with. But once you've said it, then the storm is intimately connected with everything that happens. Yeah, that's right. Right? So yeah. maybe tears and rain. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting to think about that. So let me ask you a question that I, I dangled earlier in this conversation. If you were going to come up with like a, a, a screenplay or a scenario for a film you wanted to make that used this story, how would you tell it? What would be some affordances of this basic story shape? Well, I think that that sort of event, that sort of um, phenomenon, let's say like perichronic time jumps or whatever. There's a thing in cinema called the jump cut, which is yeah. basically the way that you time travel with the camera. Um, yeah. I, the, the story is that the first real jump cut was Jean-Luc Godard in uh, A Bout de Souffle, when uh, he, he, the actress starts off, like she's crossing the street and he just cuts to her having crossed already, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching A Bout de Souffle and looking for the shot and I, I, I either blinked and missed it or, <laughs> or it's, anyways, but it's in there somewhere. Uh, the jump cut is a little bit about that. It's, it's a parachronic event. It's looking mm. at an order of time that is not the chronological time that we measure in science or in, you know, corporations when we, you know, fill out timesheets and that sort of thing. So what is that time? It's the time of story, right? So I think that cinema as a, as a medium is the perfect way to explore this type of story. And in fact, maybe all stories that are told through cinema and there are stories that are actually cinematic, because most stories mm. that are told through cinema would probably be better as theater or novels. The ones that are actually cinematic are all about this. They're mm. all about time. Um, so... Medium specificity, baby. Right. Like we were talking the other day, I think, about um, uh, the Bob Dylan movie there. The uh, What was it called? I'm Not There. Which is a little bit like that, right? You're seeing Bob Dylan in these different incarnations with different actors yeah. playing him. Yeah. And so how, I mean, it's hard to answer the question because I saw this as a piece of film. Like I watched Adventure Time and that's the way they did it. But you can think of filmmakers like Charlie Kaufman who really work with this sort of thing and look at how you don't have to do very much to make a story like this work in cinema because the cut is already doing it for you. Let's say you were to make a movie with the same actor playing two different lives at the same time. That's been oh, done, like I'm Lost sure. Lost Highway. 
Patricia Arquette plays Renee and yeah. Alice, yeah. yeah. So, William, there you go. We just covered an example of this. So, yeah. I guess how I would do it would depend on the story, the particulars of the story. But I don't think you have to do very much to make this work because I think in a sense when you oh, when no. you understand the medium specificity of cinema, you're already thinking in terms of that sort of parachronic event. That's what a cut is. That's super interesting. See, I was thinking of it in genre terms that I love a particular kind of fantasy or sci-fi that would be just normal ass realistic fiction if you just subtracted one element from it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Or maybe not one element, but just like it's already just only a hair's breadth different from the world we live in. So something else we talked about on this show, William Gibson's pattern recognition, mm. which doesn't contain anything that our world as it currently is can't contain. Yeah. There's nothing about it that is strictly speaking futuristic or fantastic. And yet it's a science fiction novel. Yeah. And that's like something that Gibson is really super good at, taking basically what we recognize as our world and revealing its strangeness. It's alienness, yeah. It's yeah. alienness, and that alienness becomes the thing that separates it from realism. Right. Uh, and which is a crazy thing to do. And so I love moves like that. Or John Crowley does this, like in Egypt, where you get the sense of demonic forces just off camera. But... I liked the idea that with this, you could have a film that would be a totally normal, realistic film. You were talking about straight story and I think our last yeah. Patreon bonus, the straight story is being like one of those Disney type movies. Disney Sunday night special, yeah. Yeah, just like, you know, a story about family. You could totally make a movie that is that genre, but with one thing added, which is at the beginning and the end somebody gets flipped through a wormhole. Yeah. You know, at the beginning, like there's this strange transformation of reality and you would deal a little with, you would deal a lot with the person's like struggle to adjust to this new reality and then eventually forgetting the old reality. And then at the end of their life, suddenly, boom, they're back in that original reality. And I love the idea that you could create this kind of generic hybrid, but then on second thought, uh, that sounds like the kind of story that would have 0% chance of ever actually being made into a film. You're describing this film and I think, I feel like I've seen it. I feel like some listeners going to tell us that's what happens in this. Like I'm remembering some of the kind of wackier 80s heartfelt comedies, stuff like um, the one where Kirk Cameron and uh, Dudley Moore switch places. Yeah. Or Big. You know, uh, Tom right, Hanks right, right. meets that little like contraption there at the fairground and, and makes right. a wish. And then, That's of course, right. there's just this one little supernatural event that becomes the premise for an otherwise purely dramatic real world kind of drama. Um, or Groundhog yeah. Day, right. which apparently the original script had an explanation for why Bill Murray's character lives the same day countless times that he like was mean to his girlfriend who's a witch and so she cast a spell on him. Yeah. But but that explanation was so disposable, so inessential to the story that they wanted to tell that it was just very easy for them to cut out that one just little thing. Just to cut it out, yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I actually think the movie is probably much better for not having the explanation. We just have. Cut. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Fantas premise. Fantasy writers, cut out the, the freaking prologue in italics that you wrote. 
It's usually <laughs> unnecessary. Like if you if you felt the need to put it in italics, it's probably because you could take it out. Um, but, but I was I was just remembering something else. Another film. Um, I mentioned Charlie Kaufman earlier. And I was trying to think why am I thinking of him? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I think is a masterpiece uh, written by Charlie I've never, Kaufman. I've never seen it. Oh, dude, you have to watch it. Like that should be next. Okay. We, should, we, we okay. could do maybe we could do a show on it. Um, yeah, there's, I'd be up for that. I like Charlie Kaufman's I, like uh, adaptation. That was another Charlie Kaufman yes, joint. I remember that was loving wacky loving that being John Malkovich. But uh, Eternal yeah, Sunshine like of the too. Spotless Mind's different because it wasn't directed by Spike Jones, but by Michel Gondry, a French director who was oh, extremely who is, yeah. talented. Yeah, so uh, really, really worth watching. It's all about this. It's about a couple that breaks up and one of them decides to go to this clinic where they they remove they remove memories for you. So she decides to get her whole relationship with this guy removed from her memory. And so when he meets her, she doesn't know who he is. And she's done this as a kind of vengeful act. You got to see it. And then it's all about him going through this process as well. Uh, but it does things with the camera and with really cool practical special effects. So basically special effects that are done on the set through the way that you shoot and the, the, the decor. And the, it's unbelievably well made. It is a beautiful meditation on the nature of memory, the nature of time. One of my favorite films of all time, but it's one that I keep forgetting, <laughs> strangely. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm all about it. it. I would love to. I would love. Yeah. It's I would super love romantic. To talk with you about that. Yeah. And Leslie is Kate Winslet in that movie. <laughs> like, oh, really? Yeah. They're the same person in a weird way. <laughs> she probably wouldn't like to hear that, but. Uh, well, now I'm going to watch it yeah. and being like. Like everything that character does would be like, so that's what Leslie's really yes. like. <laughs> yeah. You better not play this for her. She'll be mad at you. I think you're spilling her secrets on the Bruce yeah. Studies Patreon bonus episode. <laughs>